received Jesus Christ as my personal saviour and that was well over 50 years ago when I received a spiritual track. I'd like to say this is the original but it's not. <laughs> um, but it's just a simple bridge to life. It was so, so simple but it changed my life. And when Jesus said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. It's so simple, but we make it so complicated. Mm. And yet the Lord said, and um, <clears throat> as I say, I was going through quite a lot of things back then. Um, a friend of mine, um, I was with him nine hours before he died. 
and I thought there must be more to life than there is. Uh, my marriage was breaking up, um, I was drinking extremely heavily, and I actually just lost my way. And it's the open air campaigners uh, on the street, and actually, to be perfectly honest, they were handing this out, and nobody was receiving it, and I felt sorry for them, so I went and picked it up. But I'm known to me, it actually changed my life. Just a simple thing like that just changed my life. This is amazing. Um, I don't often have a dream, but when I do, I very rarely remember them. Uh, but this one was so, so clear. And uh, I was walking on a path, and I stopped and looked down at my feet, and I saw th thorns and brambles wrapping around me, and I couldn't move. There was a young boy looking up at me, and, he said, and I said to him, I can't imagine what it must be like for the Lord to have a crown of thorns on his head. Then I heard footsteps behind me, and I couldn't see who it was, but I heard the sound of brambles and thorns being cut away and setting me free. As I walked forward, I saw uh, a city with many, many buildings. Unbeknown to me at the time, uh, God was preparing me. to me that uh, God was preparing me. After the dream, thank you. Within a few days after the dream, I was having a quiet time in the morning and Psalm 23 kept on coming up. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's the way the Lord sort of was speaking to me. He says, Steve, I am your shepherd. Once you personalise it, it changes everything. And I, you know, I thought, yes, Lord, I know you are. But it was so clear. In Ephesians 6, verse 11, and God was telling me so clearly, I have given you the full armour of God. It was so clear. And I also felt that he was telling me, fear not, for I am with you. I guess all of us have a normal day. <laughs> uh, Maureen and I were shopping at Countdown, New Lynn, Auckland. I'm sure you're all familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you a bit of background. It was, um, I had a trolley. Maureen gave me a list. Back then, um, they suggested that a uh, family of two doesn't come in. You know, one way's outside. If you know more and more and wouldn't wait outside, so she went to uh, the warehouse chemist, did her thing, and she gave me a list. Well, I'm like Mr. Magoo when it comes to her list. I mean, I looked at it, and it was all healthy stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just go for the chocolate. I know it's not good, but it's fine. 
Anyway, Maureen must have got impatient. She came in and said, how far you got to the list? <laughs> well, you can imagine. So she went off and started getting the things that she needed. And uh, it's only then that I heard a woman cry. And um, I thought, oh. So my first reaction was uh, to investigate and to see if she needed help. I walked in the direction of the cry. I was shocked to see a young lady just laying on the floor. And next to her was an older man. My first impression was that it looked as though they collided because at the end of the aisle, it just looked like they, they, they fell on the floor. And I saw another man bending over the woman and he was around about in his 30s, I guess. Again, I assumed that he was just helping the lady and the older man get up. And I thought, oh, great. So I sort of paused. But unfortunately, when I was looking and thinking what I could do to help, as I looked closer, I saw him pour the knife out of her stomach. And, yeah. certainly what I wasn't expecting. Esmeralda Johns popped to the supermarket for a missing dinner ingredient in early spring last year. She could never have imagined the events about to transpire in the most mundane of settings. Speaking for the first time and exclusively to the Herald, 29-year-old Johns recounts the September 3rd terror attack that left her and seven others with a range of injuries and three of them fighting for their lives. Hey! Hey! Oh my god, dude! Oh, bro! Oh no! have guns? Johns had already been stabbed twice by ISIS inspired terrorist Ahmed Samsuddin when he came back to where he'd left her on the floor, lying on her back, pretending to be dead. She had a, a large laceration on her abdomen and across her shoulder. Her still silent attempt to stop a second attack made no difference as Samsudin climbed on top of the terrified preschool teacher, clutching a knife taken from the shelf. She remembers thinking, please don't cut my throat. He then further attacked that lady on the ground, um, cutting her across the throat. And what she thought were her last moments of life, she looked into the eyes of the man trying to take it and saw nothing. No feeling, no remorse. The attack only ended when Samsudin was challenged by brave fellow shoppers, including one throwing tins of tuna at him. Other people that were on scene that gave aid, they did exceptionally well and were very courageous. A man named Mike Andrews, who was one of the people who tried to get the attention of Samsudin as he attacked John for a second time, sat next to her, telling her she was going to be okay. She described Andrews, an office worker, as heroic, 
having first run out of the supermarket when the commotion started, but returning in case others needed help. Gunshots followed soon after and Samsudin was shot dead by the undercover police who had been trailing him from a distance. Johns didn't know what to make of it as she describes having a lot of time gaps, but she was very calm and said it was the strangest thing. Johns was in surgery within an hour and after fixing her neck and face wounds, surgeons at Auckland City Hospital had to open Johns up from the belly to chest in order to repair internal organs. Johns was unconscious for the first two weeks of her recovery. More surgery followed and the following few months were hard as pain and fatigue were constant companions. She says her life, she knows, will never be the same, but it will be good again and she hopes to connect with other survivors someday. We did beat up and uh, it was beautiful and against all odds we all survived. Um, when you stop and think about it, uh, you take several of us and um, I know two or three they didn't expect to live, but they did. And um, I mean that in itself is a miracle. I guess our human response is we always go into that fight, flight or freeze. Um, my automatic thoughts was, where's Warwick? That's my first reaction. And have you ever been in a situation where you do everything wrong? <laughs> well, honestly, I did everything wrong. You name it, I did everything wrong. My background is a social worker, counsellor. I've worked with over 2,000 violent offenders over the uh, 20-odd years as a social worker. I've had all the training of what to do. I did everything wrong. I can honestly say. When I was talking to one of the detectives, and he said, you know, with all our training, we don't know. That split second, you don't know whether you, you know, you've got to fight, fight, or free. You just don't know. I turned around to look for mine and walked in the opposite direction. It's just a no-no. But I honestly thought he hadn't seen me. But I, I sensed that the, the attacker was behind me, so what maybe look around, only the Lord knows because reality, as I looked and I saw it coming towards me and I realised um, with a knife in his hand and I was going to be the next victim I mean, it was so close no question about it, it was the shield of God, within seconds I could feel that I was being guided with an escape plan I cannot fully explain what really happened in the last 20 seconds I can only just um, show you for me how, how it was yeah. um, just then I was just guided and if you've been to Countdown you can if you see those doors it's a store next to it's the Continental stuff and, you know, and um, I was guided to look to the left as I was walking I looked at that and I saw those doors uh, but I was not going to run there um, because I hadn't seen Maureen. As I was looking for her, to my surprise and relief, and I couldn't believe that as I'm walking, so I'm walking there, 
just there is where the uh, doors are, and Maureen was just coming out there. Yeah. We're talking split seconds here, and I just couldn't believe it. And uh, I immediately had an inner peace. I can honestly say I was totally at peace. He wasn't far behind me. And I said to Maureen, quick, he's got a knife. Now, if you know my wife, <laughs> first rack, who's got a you know, But she didn't. And she came straight across. And this is where the miracle starts all coming through. She never even saw him. Wow. Now, against, now, he was a bit short of me, but a real stocky, strong uh, sort of a guy. As I say, Maureen hadn't even seen him. What else could I have done? Well, Maureen could have seen him. She could have come up behind, walking through a different aisle. Um, who's got a knife? Uh, yet here she was. Perfect place at a perfect time. We're talking about split seconds here. And yet I knew exactly what to do. Uh, I've been shown the door, so I knew that's the way of escape. All I wanted at that time was Maureen to be safe. If I thought she was safe, then all would be well. Maureen walked through the doors, and I stood behind the doors. Now, Robbie's seen the doors, and Joe at the back, a close friend of mine, he helped me put all this together. Um, I know when I took them through the other day, they just couldn't believe it. And these doors are just flat together. Um, but it was fight for life. There's no question about it. Even so, um, I opened one of the swinging doors with great, with uh, great force, and we stood there face. This is the thing, as I say, 20 seconds. All I can remember is um, I stood behind the doors, and I held on to those on the inside and held it. Of course, the door, he just pulled it open. We were face to face. Um, and this is the thing, he had so much hate in his eyes, and to be perfectly honest, he looked possessed. I, there's no other way I can explain it. And he chanted out loud, and then with great uh, force, he just thrust the knife straight towards my stomach. Here it all comes. This is the amazing part about it is, uh, at that moment, I remember that I roared like a lion. I've never roared like and I hope I never have to again. But it was such a roar, and even more I heard it in the, in the store at the back. But she didn't think it, but she heard the roar. It was incredible. I can't, but I felt obviously a great lot of power and strength, not on me. And when you look at that and you, when you study that, there's the darkness, there's the line of Judah. I mean, it speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it Time stood still. Uh, I remember looking through the first bit's windows, and he had gone, and I couldn't actually move. You know, because um, the window you could see had gone. And this is the incredible thing: is it was like Robbie standing next to me, saying, "You're out of danger now." And it's so crystal clear. And the voice said again. And I looked, but there was no one there. And I swore there was someone. It was so, so clear. Armour of God. Wow. 
where do you start? I mean, it's just incredible. Um, back then I was 77, and now 87. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, I was 77, and certainly not as strong as a 32-year-old. Uh, he was extremely well built. And the detectives told me that um, had I not acted the way I did within the 20 uh, seconds, he would have definitely taken me down, more and down, and uh, there was actually three storemen in the store. And obviously, that's, he would have escaped through there, and goodness knows the carnage. And um, there's fire doors, he would have got out into the straight street. So I wonder if I would have acted differently. Looking back, if I run, he would have chased me, if I confronted him. If, if. And it's always by the grace of God. There's no other way I can explain it. I can honestly say to you before you now, if I wasn't a Christian then, I certainly would be now. <laughs> There's no way in a million years that more than fire should have survived. There's there's no way. Now, this is the incredible thing is that um, the knife seemed to just bounce back. And um, as I say, he was a stroppy, heavy man. And it was just a punch of wound and not one drop of blood was spilled. Yeah. I mean, the incredible thing is, there is open the door, full force, okay? I roared like a lion, so it's obvious got an evil. It's obviously, you know, the Bible talked about, you know, all the evil forces, the heavenly places, and everything. And there was a battle going on. And we are. But the beautiful thing is, the battle has been won at Calvary. It goes by his blood that was shed by the grace of God there for life. You know, and then when you stop and think about it, it is, all of us are on a journey. And one day, we're all going to die. No matter who we are, no matter where you come from, we're all going to die. Then there's the day of judgment. And we're going to stand before God. The first thing God is going to say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? I sent him. So you might have life and have it abundant. I've been married 50 odd years and I can honestly say without the Lord, I wouldn't be standing here, not because of yeah, but what's happened there. Um, but it's by the grace of God, thank God. I think you moved up, huh? Oh. Sorry. Go back. Yes, one. Oh. Yeah, thank you. We're getting there. We haven't rehearsed, but we've done very well. <laughs> As you know, I'm a senior man. I've got to admit that. Uh, I've had a lot of challenges in my life. I really have. And I know that Satan's always tried to stand me, but I know by the grace of God that I stand. And Moyne's just going to share for her how it was for her. Thank you. Well, I'm going to go over it very briefly because I'm going to share the word. And before I do, um, I want to share something I read. This
telegraph. And there was a wee footnote in the Bible that Samuel, the first word that went over the wire was scripture. What has God wrought? But he died at the age of 80, and at the age of 76, this was what he said. Four years before he died, he said, The nearer I approach the end of my pilgrimage, the clearer is the evidence of the divine origin of the Bible, the grandeur and sublimity of God's remedy for fallen man are more appreciated and the future is illuminated with hope and joy. Now only a Christian can say at the age of 76, I've got a future illuminated with hope and joy. Because most people as they end and, you know, go to the end of life, they're looking at chances lost and things that they missed out on. But our future is illuminated with hope and joy when we know the Lord. I'll share a wee bit about it. Um, one thing, um, and you can tell Steve and I haven't spoken because we had two shopping lists. He was he picked the countdown and I was going in to get a health supplement from the pharmacy warehouse. When we get up, they're all lined up outside and they've all got their bags and we've forgotten our bags. And I parked a long way away so I'd get more exercise, you know, just like <laughs> And so I said, Steve, you line up, I'll get the bags. I went back and got the bags. And when I came back, you was already in. That's how I came in together. <laughs> I get my supplements, I go into Countdown, and I said, have you done it all? Because I felt bad. Shouldn't be too in here, because there was still a queue outside. And Steve said, I've got three things to get. So ladies, you know, we know where things are. I got the list, I got two, and then I went round to get the herbs. And then you've heard the rest. Now, I had a piece. I actually, when Steve said, come now, he's got a knife, I went to put the, the herbs in the trolley. <laughs> and one of the policewomen said that. I had a real piece. But the Lord said to me, go now. Wow, it was an well. inner voice. You know, I had, when I came here, I've been a Christian for many years. But you know what it's like? You can be a Christian and not really listening to the voice of the Lord. And when I moved to Auckland, I said, Lord, I want to practice hearing your voice. I want to hear that quiet, still voice. I want to know what you're saying all the time. And it was that quiet voice. Not urgency. There was no panic. Go now. And I went, and Steve held the door open, and he was calm as anything. But when he shut the door, then I had fear. Then fear came. But you see, it shouldn't have done. Several day, one day was an actual day before, and I've checked up in the dates, because I write, when I have a quiet time, I write down, and I date everything. And the day before, I was having a quiet time. And I had like a vision, and I can only describe it as a vision, but I knew where I was. I was sitting on the bed, looking out at glorious Titarangi, which looks amazing, all the bush, and the sun was shining, and I saw myself as a wee girl sitting in South Brighton Beach in the sand hills, and I could feel the warmth of the sand. I literally felt like I was sitting in sand, and I could smell the lupins, 
and my parents were here to the right of me. And I said to the Lord, I think you're trying to tell me something here. And the Lord started ministering that the sand was the presence, the warmth of the Holy Spirit. And the fragrance of the lupins was the fragrance of Christ. And my parents were my, that was my heavenly Father. And then as the Lord ministered that, he said, and I'm your Father, and I'm invincible. And then I felt the Lord saying, look up invincible. And I started to laugh. And I said, I know what invincible means. (laughs) And the Lord, look it up. And I Googled it. I had all the books on the bed and the phone was on the bed. And I just Googled invincible. And you know when you do that, everything pops up. (laughs) But the first thing to come up was invincible. A power that no other power overthrow. That's our God. God. And I saw this the other day. It's in Psalm 34. And it says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. When the righteous cry out, the Lord hears. Now, I can tell you right now, I'm not righteous. But in Christ I am. You know, when my heavenly Father looks at me, I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. But I know what a sinner I am, and you know, the weird thing is, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you realize what a rat bag you're in. (laughs) Because you remember things, and you think, my goodness, how did God get me through that? How did he get my attention? And yet he does. I knew the Lord at a very early age. I was 12. And I went to a Methodist um, Bible class camp, or Sunday school camp, Lee camp. And I went to play up. I was an only child. And um, that was my chance to let my hair down and um, go and create a disturbance and play up. And I remember they had a late night service in a wee church. And the presence of the Lord was was there. And at the age of 12, I gave my life to the Lord and went back to the camp. And I knew that was a real conversion. You know, it was something real. I didn't understand it, never read the Bible. Um, But the Lord was there and he would minister to me. And I went to Sunday school and I had great parents. You know, they weren't Christians themselves, but they sent me to Sunday school because both their mothers, one was Salvation Army, my father's, and my mother's was... You know, we were from, I was from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and she was a committed Christian. And so they did the right thing because they would have been told off if they hadn't. But when I, when I knew I was going to share, I always liked to share a word that the Lord gave me. He gave me two words. And, you know, we were praying that we'll be sharing with people that didn't know the Lord. But God knows. And this is his word. And this is what he wants me to share because he knew who was going to be here today. So, Lord, anoint your word as you always do. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door. I couldn't help thinking that when you were talking about the door there. You know, it just hit me afresh. Jesus is the door, the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. 
if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and come out and find pasture, food, protection, everything you need. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. That's us. We are the other sheep. And others. Them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. You know, Steve pointed out we went to the, um, how good the Islamic Church were, and they were wonderful. They had, um, they tried to make amends and they gave money to the victims and they had a meeting we couldn't attend, so we, we couldn't go that night. But then the last one they, they had at the Avondale of Islamic Church, we went. And they put on a beautiful meal and the men spoke and they were so gracious and so lovely. And on their wall, they had the names of the prophets. And they had the name of Jesus Christ there. Only he's not a prophet. Amen. He's a king of kings and lord of lords. He's my saviour, my lord and my God. Amen. And he's not, he's not a figure in history. He's God. He, he died in our place. You know, I know what a rat bag I was. And the, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you realise your sinful nature. But Jesus, while we react sinners, he died. And I am actually going to share someone else's testimony. Someone I love very much, and Lord, don't make me cry when I share it. It's my father's testimony. And he always wanted to share his testimony because of what God did. And he never did. So I'm sharing it right now. And I believe someone needs to hear this. Um, at the age of 12... Not long after I had gone forward, my father, who was a Scotchman, brilliant dad, hard case, you know, um, while I played out growing up, there was always a limit because I had to answer to my dad. But he was a great dad, he was always there, he was there for me, he was there for the grandchildren when they, they came. He was there for my husband when we got married. He was always there and always available and always ready to do what he could. He loved to drink, never ever saw him drunk. 
He was a hard-working man, a good man. And I started praying for him. When I committed my life to the Lord, unbeknown to anyone in the family, and praying for my mum. And um, this time he was playing cards at his best friend's house, Bob O'Connor, Bob and Agnes O'Connor, another Scottish couple. And he was playing cards on a Sunday, having a glass of beer, and he broke a tooth on a potato chip. So Bob <laughs> ran him into the dentist. I was in the back seat. He goes in, he comes out, and he gets in the car and he says, take me home, and wouldn't talk. And Bob was trying to talk, and he wouldn't talk. So he walks in and rudely walks into the spare bedroom in their house and calls my mother. And she goes in, comes out in tears 20 minutes later. And then I'm called in. And this is what he said to me. He said, when I was under the anaesthetic, they removed the broken tooth. When I was under the anaesthetic, God spoke to me. And he said, I brought you to a new country. I gave you a faithful wife. I gave you a healthy child. I've given you a great job. You've just bought your own home. And you've left me out of your life. And when I count to ten, you'll be dead. And he started counting. One. Two. And he got to nine. And my dad woke up. And he said, he's going to count to ten any moment. And I'm allowed now to warn you both. And um, I don't want you leaving God out of your life. Well, to cut a long story short, he goes home. And after tests, seeing the doctor, many tests that week, he gets a clean bill of health, which isn't surprising. He was in his early, early 40s. And then he started reading the Word. And then he started going to church, our local Methodist church, where I went to Sunday school. And he took a boys' club. And... Um, he was really into his football and had a wee football group and went to church every Sunday, read the Bible every day, had religion. He wasn't born again. You know, the I can say the Bible says, but it's not the Bible doesn't say this at all. A friend of ours, Brian Booth, an evangelist, says that religion's like an inoculation in the arm. It stops you getting the real thing. <laughs> It's not salvation. Religion's not where it's at. We're not saved. It's a living, vital relationship Amen. with the Lord of Lords. And you know when you're born again. This was my dad's favorite scripture. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? My father's name was Thomas. So <laughs> But he read the Bible, and one day after this, after he'd got his clean bill of health, and he'd read the Bible, the Lord showed him the psalm where it says, three score years and ten you will have. And then anything after that's a bonus. And he said, the Lord has ministered to me that I will die at 70. Now my reaction was to go into the bedroom, get on my knees, I closed the door, got on my knees, 
didn't tell mum and dad, but I said, Lord, don't let them die at 17 because I'm going to be petrified the whole year. He's mm. 70. Let it be after that, even if it's 71. That will do. But don't let him die at 70. Now, to quicken the story, Steve and I um, had two children. We were married. We had two children. My daughter, who's here today, and a son who's in Australia. And um, we had a shop. They were at primary school. We had a shop. And my dad, being the dad he always was, would pick me up in the morning, take me to work so I didn't have to pay for a car park, and then pick up the, come back and do a bit of work because he was making cane for the shop, pick up the children and look after them and always running around. And that's what he did. But I had a dream that my dad died and I missed the opportunity to share the gospel with him. You see, I'd forgotten what happened at the age of 12. You know, that many years have happened here. And so I had forgotten what dad had got. But I had a dream he had died, and the Lord was ministering to me now. And then I dreamt several months later, my dad had died, and I'd missed my opportunity. And then quite a few months later, a third time, I get the dream. And the dream is my dad is sitting in our lounge, he's had a heart attack, he's died, and I'm weeping on the floor at his feet because I've lost the opportunity to share the word with him. And I woke up so distraught. My dad was picking me up that morning. I get in the car and I said, Dad, turn the engine off. He said, you're going to be late. I said, turn it off. I need to talk to you. Now, my dad, when I shared the dream, and I did share the dream, he could have gone mad. He had quite a temper on him. I mean, he was a great dad. But he was what I'd call a typical man's man. You didn't mess with him. If he thought you were playing around or saying the wrong thing, he'd let you know. And um, he went quiet and he thought for a minute. He said, and meantime, Steve and I had, I had recommitted my life to the Lord as an adult, and Steve also had committed his life. And this was several years before. And then my dad said to me, I've seen God work in your life, I know he's real. But I can't commit my life to him. And yet he was going to church. You see, he knew the difference. He saw the difference in Steve and I. He knew the difference in his life. He said, I can't commit my life to the Lord. I said, why not? He said, I'm too much of a sinner. <laughs> and my reaction was, praise God, you're halfway there. <laughs> because most people won't admit they're a sinner. And once they know then they can repent of their sin. Because unless we repent, we're not born again. Repentance is not preached now. I have a friend who came to see me before she moved back to Christchurch. And she's a Christian, has been for many years. And she said, I am sick and tired of people in churches talking about sin. And I was sitting on the deck and my Bible was there and I just patted it and said, the Bible's full of it. <laughs> we're sinners, but we're saved by grace through his love. You know? But anyway, I shared that with my dad. And I then proceeded to take him to every evangelist that hit Christchurch. <laughs> I get him at the Tom Fru crusade, my mum and dad. And if anyone's heard Tom Fru, he's a laugh a minute. 
and he gave his testimony of his life from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and he was an alcoholic and nearly, nearly died drinking. And it was just so funny. And then he gets serious and he shares the gospel. Now, my mum and dad are there and I know that the word is hitting the mark. So when we stand to sing, and this is a word for Christians right now, I, everyone was singing and praising the Lord and I'm quietly pleading with God to save my parents. And the Lord rebukes me and said, will you stop praying in unbelief? I said, I prayed for their salvation and the Lord said, do you know I want to save them? You've already asked me to save them. Just start thanking me, will you? <laughs> Change my attitude. I just raised my hands, praised God. My father was out and my mother straight after him. And they were saved. Praise now, many years later, not that many, but it was quite a few years later, we are living in Christchurch, the whole family. Our daughter um, was there and my son was there. And we even had a wee son. He was Jewish, and my father gets sick, and it's stomach cancer, and he's in hospital. He's, I know he's dying. He didn't know. I had run the doctor, and I knew what was going on. Our daughter was involved with Youth for Christ, and she was going to Australia, and she was in Australia, and my dad looked like he was doing well at that stage. He'd had the surgery. But when he found out he was dying, when he went right low, he said, don't let Joe know, because I will see her again. He had great faith. He had a strong faith. The Lord was ministering. Joe, before this, had gone to Israel, and my mother had said, all I want is some water from the Jordan River. <laughs> That's all I want from the Jordan. And it came back in a wee bottle. My father got baptised before um, he went to hospital. And he was very weak. And he asked the, um, the Baptist minister to baptise him. And he said, no, Tom, I don't want to baptise you because you might not come out of the water. He was that weak. And Dad said, I must, I must, I must get that. There was an urgency, and Mum got baptised with him. And the water from the Jordan River went in to the bath. The bath was outside. And I thought, I was thinking back on it the other day, I thought, how good is God? You can't write this. If you're to write a script, you can't write this. But it gets better. My dad, the day before he dies, is in hospital. The family are all around him. And... The, the surgeon comes in. His name is Gavin Walton. He wasn't a Christian then. His language would say he wasn't a Christian, but very highly thought of and a great surgeon, highly respected. And he came and he said, is he conscious? My dad was in one of the fallout chairs. And I said, I don't think so. We're talking to him. There's no response. He said, I'll find out. So we asked him a football question. <laughs> Who won, who scored the winning goal in such and such a World Cup? My, my dad knew everything about Scottish football. And my dad didn't answer. One of the songs you sang here really <coughs> sums us up. 
my dad picked his finger up and pointed in the direction of the voice. So he knew where it was coming from, but he didn't turn his head and he didn't open his eyes. And he said, I am no longer interested in anything this world has to offer, but the Lord Jesus Christ and where I'm going. That was his testimony before me. That was just so amazing. You know, Jesus says, after he speaks and after Thomas spoke to him, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there was my dad saying, I'm no longer interested in anything this world has to offer, but the Lord Jesus Christ and where I'm going. I was with my dad. I'd gone in to spend time with my dad the night, that, the following night. And he was very low, and I thought, I'm staying here through the night. But our daughter didn't know that dad was near death. And she had run home, and my mother had answered and didn't know what to say. And my 16-year-old son, or our 16-year-old son, had come up, and he said, you can't stay there. Joe's ringing back, Nanny doesn't know what to say to her, you need to come home. And I can remember when I was sitting by his bed, I thought, what do you say to someone who's soon going to be with the Lord? <laughs> you might think this is strange, but I thought if I was going to France, I'd get out all the travel books and read about France. Mm. So I opened the book, the book of Revelation, and I read about heaven. And I read, and I read, and I read, and I read, and I prayed, and I read. And then when, when Stuart came up and said, you need to come home, I went home after saying goodbye to my dad, and I put my hand on the door of his room. And when I turned the handle, my dad said, night, night. You see, he was only going to sleep. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's why Samuel Morse could say, I've got hope and joy, illuminated future. And that's for every one of us. You know, we're living in a time where we don't know fact from fantasy anymore. There's lies after lies after lies being told. Well, here is the truth. This is the truth. And we it doesn't matter. I can be wrong. I couldn't care less as long as I'm right about eternal life. Because the only thing guaranteed is we're all going to die. It's the only guarantee. Now this is the last scripture. But I like to share the word that God gives me. And this is it, very short. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. It's a daily walk. We can't go back on past experiences. The Lord's got so much more for us. You know, there's a scripture that I love that says, when evil comes in like a flood, God's going to raise a standard. You and I are part of that standard that God wants to raise. From the children to the elderly, God's going to raise up his people, his standard. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man 
if he gains a whole world and is himself destroyed or lost. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in his own glory and his Father's and of the holy angels. I personally believe that Jesus is coming soon. Amen. There's going to be an ingathering. There's going to be an outpouring of God's Spirit. We are going to see many come to faith. But we're also going to see the falling away, which I believe has already started. A falling away. We've warned of that. And I have to say to the Lord, what is it? A falling away or revival? What? I now see it's both. It's both. I'll pass it back to you. so much to Stephen Maureen. That was a very powerful and moving um, uh, testimony of both. And really want to thank you for, for sharing something really so intensely special and personal to you. Uh, I'm sure we've all, all been touched by it. But can we just bow our heads in a word of prayer? Just, um, Father, I thank you for your testimony. We all have a story. We all have a testimony, Lord, of your grace and your mercy and how you've saved us. And Lord, when you remember what we were, the things we did, the life we lived without you, I just thank you, Lord, that you came into my life. You've come into our lives. And Lord, we've experienced the most rich, wonderful, glorious transformation from darkness to light, from death to life. And so, Father, I just thank you. I just thank you that you mean the world to us, Lord. You are everything to us. And as we are bowed before you, and as we've heard, Lord, the gospel, that the one certainty in life is that we are all going to pass away. We will all die. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. That's the promise of scripture. And I just want to give you an opportunity. I don't know where you are with, with the Lord today, but I would urge you to draw close to him. Uh, if, it, if it's a rededication, rededicate your life. If it's a commitment to, to give your life to the Lord, please do that. It's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. So I just want to take a moment as you examine your life, recognizing that we're going to have an account uh, to, for our actions and our deeds. We're going to have to give that account. And unless we wash in the blood of the Lamb, unless Jesus has saved us, there's only a fearful expectation. But if we know if we know Jesus and we've asked him into us, our lives, he's taken our punishment for us. And so if there's anybody who's uncertain about their salvation today, I urge you to make that decision to, to respond to the gospel. If anybody wants to rededicate their life to the Lord, I urge you to respond. So I'm just going to give you an opportunity. I want to ask if there's if there's anybody who wants to rededicate their life or give their life to the Lord today. Is there anybody here this morning? 
Who wants to do that? In Jesus. Just raise your hand. If it's you, just one. Just quickly, just raise up and raise down. Is there anybody? I'm sure we all say, but I think we all, I love you. There's one there. Thank you. Praise God. person before you. We are so grateful to you for, for that person. Lord, the Bible says that the angels rejoice over one who repents. Lord, we rejoice and we're excited about somebody's decision to draw close to you, to love you more fervently, more passionately, more uh, dedicated uh, to you and your ways. So Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for that person. We pray that you would do a mighty work powerful work of renewal and revival and refreshing. Lord, I pray that these lives would be transformed as you've transformed ours. From glory to glory, Lord, from darkness to light. I just pray for, for that person, for all those who possibly will even listen to this on, on, on the church website in, in days to come, Lord, I pray that you would, would, would speak to them now. Lord, that they too would make a decision to serve you with their whole heart also of mind and spirit, Lord. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time dedicated to you. Bless us in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Amen.